chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to be in Nehemiah 3, and we're talking about cooperation today, mostly. And uh, so I, I was uh, actually this morning, I was out at Starbucks, kind of finishing up, preparing for this morning, and trying to rack my brain about a story to start off with that talked about cooperation. And then I got home to pick up my family, and uh, they were running late, and my wife was just beginning to make chili. And so I had a wonderful opportunity to cooperate with my family by helping with a kind heart and a gentle spirit, which is what I always do when I cooperate, right? No, that's not what happened. I got home, and there was you know, this crock pot overflowing with beautiful, wonderful chili, and yet my attitude was the opposite of beautiful and wonderful, and I was, you know, felt dishonored that they weren't ready as I walked in the door and uh, ready to go, and so I did not cooperate well as I had just finished reflecting a bit on a good story for cooperation. So um, that's my story of cooperation. I'm not great at cooperation all the time. Does anyone else have... A little bit of struggle with cooperating with others? Just me? No, yeah, a lot of us struggle at times with working with others. It's inconvenient. It requires patience. I mean, most of the one another commands and scriptures, you could relate them somehow to cooperation because cooperation is a big subject. Am I echoing too much right now? Okay, I hear it, but you don't. That's good. I have a couple quotes, a couple of kind of humorous quotes on cooperation. The first one Uh, says, cooperation will solve many problems. Even freckles would form a nice tan if they would ever get together. (laughs) The second one says, I would like to see anyone. This is by far the number one quote on uh, goodreads.com. This had a thousand some likes. The next quote was like Bill Clinton with a hundred likes on cooperation. This is the number one quote on cooperation. I would like to see anyone, prophet, king, or God, convince a thousand cats to do the same thing at the same time. I don't know why everyone loves that quote so much, but everyone loves cats on the internet. So, and then um, the next quote is a serious quote about cooperation. And I think this is a very timely quote uh, right now. We're in the midst of uh, some nationally publicized, and there's a national outcry, rightly so, because of the systemic injustice that we clearly see in the case of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and of John Crawford, who was shot and killed after laying down his toy gun in a Walmart. There is real systemic injustice that requires the church to cooperate even across the boundaries of race and culture. Amen? And so this quote is wonderful and timely today. It says, we may may have all come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. Martin Luther King Jr. What a wonderful quote, right? cooperation is very crucial and very important, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we are in the book of Nehemiah, where this man named Nehemiah is called by God. His heart is broken because his city, where his people are from, Jerusalem, the walls are broken down, the gates are broken down, it's in ruins, there's rubble everywhere, and he is, his heart has been broken by God to return to the city and go and rebuild and lead the people of God to rebuild. And he's on this mission to rebuild the city and rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. And we've been equating that rebuilding, Nehemiah was called to, to the rebuilding or the lifting up, the inspiring, the equipping, and the deploying as missionaries, as Andy just mentioned, of us, the people of God here in San Diego today. 
So that's kind of the, the equation that we're looking at here, that we're equating the rebuilding of the city to the rebuilding and the building up of us, the city of God or the people of God in this city. And I think this definitely also applies to you, restored, right? You're beginning your third year. You're embarking on a, a second Sunday morning service. There is quite a bit of cooperating and building and work to do right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And So all of us are in this place of needing to trust God as we set on the work he's called us to. And today we come to the part in the story in chapter 3 where we see no less than 40 parties, 40 families, tribes, groups of people cooperating in the rebuilding of the wall and the gates. And so I'm going to unpack what this has to do with us, people in San Diego, two congregations in one place in 2014. So listen up for a few minutes while we We'll see how this can happen among us, this cooperation that creates this beautiful building up of what God desires and how it can happen all of the time, not without fail. Of course, all of us will fall, and, and, but, but hopefully in a way that we can fail and fall forward as we seek to honor God. And I want to I emphasize as we begin, this isn't about just a few key people or key leaders building up everyone else. But this is, as we see in the story, this is about you being blessed by God to be part of His kingdom work. You, everyone who is here, and everyone even who is not here who's part of the church, this is an opportunity for you to be blessed as you follow God in the ways that we'll talk about today. So Nehemiah 3 is where we're going to be, and I'm going to go through this using the same outline I've used the past couple times I've preached. It's law, gospel, the Spirit empowers us to obey. Pretty straightforward outline. The reason I'm doing this is because I want us to learn that every single passage of Scripture, can, you can see this kind of outline, this pattern emerge. You first see what the passage says that we should do. What does the law say? Do. It says, do this. And God's law, though, is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, you read Psalm 119, especially, where the psalmist celebrates for 176 verses the wonderful beauty of God's statutes, commands, laws. He uses whatever word he can. God's law is wonderful, but if you stay under God's law, what will happen? You'll die. You'll be crushed by the weight of God's commands because none of us can live up to God's standards perfectly on our own. And then the gospel says, in response to the law, Jesus did. The gospel says, do this. The, gospel, or the, the law says, do this. The gospel says, Jesus did this. And if you skip over the law to the gospel, you may lose the sense that the gospel is good news that rescues you from the weight that you cannot bear. So it's law and gospel we must speak about together. And then we're going to unpack this pattern in this passage today. Another way to put it is the gospel, or the law, sorry, having trouble with these words, getting confused. The law shows us our problems, the gospel solves our problems, and the Spirit empowers us to obey. So let's read this passage, Nehemiah 3. Again, this is kind of a list, so it's redundant, but it's redundant on purpose. Just listen up. Nehemiah 3. Then, there's lots of names too, just to just to, to warn you, I'm not going to pronounce all these in correct Hebrew. Uh, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests. 
So this is Nehemiah went around the wall. He inspected it all. We talked about that last week here at New City. And he came back to the people and he said, now let's go and do this work. And then immediately it just says, they said, okay, we're going to do this work. And that's what it's listing out. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Take note of that exception. There's a list. It's very redundant except for the end of verse 5 where it says their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joiada, the son of Pesiah, and Meshelam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite. The men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I love that part, like perfumers putting their hands to hard labor, right? Many of us, we think of, of service opportunities. We think of helping one another out with hard things. And, and we think we've got to be stuck in the, kind of that gifting or that, that thing we were labeled in high school, right? And yet, if, even if you're a perfumer, like if you work at Sephora or one of those you know, beauty places, you can put your hands to the work that is required by God. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. So even the, the highest of the high, the nobles, the ruler of half of Jerusalem. Next to them, Jedidiah, Jediah, the son of Harumpa, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malkjah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. Are you guys ready for me to stop? You can, you can infer the rest, right? So there are, uh, I think it says next to, it says another, it just keeps going on. It's cooperation, cooperation. And if you, if you numbered them out, there's at least 40 kind of units or teams listed there, right? Some of them worked across from their homes. Some of them came from outlying lands, but they all gathered together to cooperate on this project because God had put it in their hearts. So what can we infer from this? What, what good thing? What does the law say here? The law says, do this. And the first thing I want to highlight is the law says, or what we can infer from this, what is good to do is cooperate. Right? We should cooperate. And let me ask you, and I know you guys do this some as restored too. You can actually speak back and answer this question. What could we, what can we cooperate on as God's people today. What kind of good things can we cooperate on? Building community. Absolutely. What's that? Mission. What do you mean by that? Okay. Pursuing people and bringing them the gospel together. Yeah. 
serving our city, loving each other. What else? What else can we cooperate on? What excites you about thinking about being united together as a people of God and cooperating? Supporting each other through difficult times, absolutely. Getting involved in politics, even that, right? Yeah. By not gossiping. So there's parts of cooperation that we re- you know, refrain from certain things in order for it to be good, yeah. Supporting the poor, or serving the poor. Supporting missionaries overseas, absolutely. By giving, giving financially, giving of our time, right? Those are all wonderful ways that we can cooperate. We can cooperate just in the everyday gospel community life by asking good questions, right? By probing deeply into one another's hearts in order to share the gospel so that we might grow together. We can, in our, you know, in our most intimate relationships, we can really listen to one another and cooperate in that way. What about prayer? You think that might be a good way to cooperate together as the people of God, is to talk to God about the things He's having us do? Absolutely. Pray for one another. Uh, intercede on one another's behalf. Pray prayers of encouragement for one another. Absolutely. I want to read you a little uh, excerpt from a commentary on this passage. It says, One reason the work progressed was that everyone took part, from rulers and temple personnel to merchants and citizens with their families. Even the people from the villages who lived a distance from Jerusalem also helped. They felt part of the community, even though they personally received fewer direct benefits. And one commentator suggests that their cooperation on the walls is one of the Old Testament's finest pictures of its ideal of Israelite brotherhood. Even their enemies were amazed at the results. In order not only to survive, but also to be effective in the midst of opposition from a hostile secular culture, the church must exhibit a cooperative spirit. We, the church, must exhibit a cooperative spirit. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father that we would be what? One, that we would be perfectly one as He is perfectly one with the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, Paul actually praises the church there for being an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So they've been cooperating as a good example to the church throughout the region. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul talks about giving to the church in Corinth, and he gives one church as an example, saying they are cooperating with the work of the Lord by giving beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I'm sure you guys have that at Restored often, right, where people come and beg to take more responsibility and more opportunity, and can you please help me find out how to give more, right? That's how all of us act all the time. No, we, many of us fall short of that, but, but this is a beautiful way, that, a picture of what can happen when God truly ignites our hearts to cooperate as we could. 
And an apostle could even be boasting throughout the land of your zeal to help one another and to help other churches. And then we've got to ask, what's at stake if we don't cooperate? What's at stake if we do not cooperate as the people of God? We will be unprotected, right? If you don't have people who are fighting for your good and for you to be encouraged and built up, you may fall into sin and your heart will become hard. False teaching will enter into the church if we don't cooperate together. Divisive things will happen and we will, we will be pitted against one another by our flesh and by the world and by Satan if we do not cooperate together actively. We will be just like the world instead of being a display of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we are just like the world and no different than any club that could gather together in a room like this, if our cooperation doesn't look any different, any more beautiful, then what is there to attract people to to, to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ? So part of what's at stake is that people will not hear the gospel if we do not cooperate. And if people do not hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. You feeling the weight of this a little bit, hopefully? Again, I said, we're going to do law first, and then we're going to get to the good news part of it. That's not all there is. The second thing that we see in this passage, another part of kind of the, what we should do, is we should lift that stone. We should, we should bear the weight that is before us. We should do our part of the work. Yes, we should cooperate with others, but you also need to focus on what you have to do and lift your part, do your part of the work. Galatians 6.5 says, For each will have to bear his own load. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 2 Thessalonians 3 talks about some people walk in idleness, not busy, but busy bodies. And do you know what he's, Paul says should happen if someone is a busy body and will not do their part? He says they should no longer even be accepted in fellowship as part of the church. That's how serious this is, that each of us do our own part as people of God and as we cooperate together. We cannot be like the, the nobles of the Tekoites in verse 5 who would not stoop to serve the Lord. We must carry our load or else we will bring shame to the name of God and we will defame the gospel and people will not be attracted to it. Just as if we do not cooperate, people will not be attracted to the good news that is on display among us. So the good news is that we don't stop there, right? We don't just stop it. We should try harder and do better. There is always an answer. If that's what God has called us to, and if that's a good way to live, is cooperating in, those, in beautiful ways that display the gospel, and each of us carrying our own load, and yet we all fail at that from time to time, what is the answer? And the good news is there's always an answer, and it's always Jesus. There is always a because Jesus. Whenever you see a command in Scripture, whenever you see even implied a command in Scripture or a good example, there is always a because Jesus. It's always Jesus that's the answer. And the gospel says that he did something on your behalf so that God could call you to this, so that God could free you to live in this way. 
And I want to I want to emphasize that when I say gospel, I don't mean just a, a general idea of what's good and true. When I say gospel, when we say gospel, we mean the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ to usher in his kingdom, to free the captives as we sang about so beautifully this morning, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to ultimately make all things new by his atoning death on a cross and his death-defeating resurrection from the dead. That's what I mean by gospel. And Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because as Raquel prayed this morning, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for your salvation and my salvation if we would only believe. That is our part in the gospel, is to believe. And then he goes on to say, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed for fa- from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So if we want to be righteous, if we want to live up to God's standards, we do that how? By faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. Not by our own efforts. We live by faith in the gospel from day one of our life in Christ to the last day on this earth when we no longer need faith because Jesus will appear. So the gospel says Jesus did this. The first thing in response to our need to cooperate is Jesus, as a member of the Trinity, cooperates perfectly for our salvation. Jesus cooperates perfectly for our salvation. And I do mean for that to be present tense, cooperates. Oftentimes when we think of salvation, we think only of a past tense thing that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross and there is no salvation that is continuing to happen. But I'll explain in just a minute what I mean by cooperates even today for our salvation. You see, it's in the very essence of who Jesus is and who God is that he cooperates because God is a trinity, right? God is three persons and one being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So even at a level that our minds cannot fully grasp and cannot fully comprehend, at at the deepest level of who God is, he is cooperating and he is cooperation. He's cooperating for our good. About a year ago, I was, I was really having um, some trouble with my schedule, just feeling like it was overwhelming me, you know, battling feelings of there's just way too much on my plate. Anyone else ever feel that way? I've taken on too many tasks. My to-do list is growing, and I've read the book, Getting Things Done, right? I know how to keep them all in these beautiful lists in the right places for the right context and then not do any of them because there's way too much on there, Right? And I was having that feeling as a, as a dad of five kids, as a husband of one wife, and as a Christian, as a gospel community leader, as a pastor, there's a lot on my plate, right? And I remember where I was when I was, I was struggling with, I was at the Panera Bread in Coronado, and I got out some notebook paper, and probably a G2 pen, because those are wonderful pens, and began to pray... <laughs> I love that I get applause on the pen. Um, So, yes, wonderful. Thank you. Um, So I I just began to to kind of cry out to God in that that sense of being overwhelmed. I could not reconcile that he had called me to, to love my neighbors 
to, to go and pursue them wholeheartedly with the, the margin in my life and yet still lead well and pastor and cherish my children and love my wife. I, I couldn't understand why God would call me to all these things that seem to conflict with one another. And they can't all possibly be done well at the same time in the same life. And that's when God spoke to me as I was writing and praying. And the Father just said, I'm not in competition with the Son and the Spirit for your life. We have the same agenda. When I call you as your Father to, to get up in the morning and enjoy a coffee with me, that is not in competition with the Son's desire to go and spread the good news. They both feed one another. So God reminded me in that moment that, that in his call to obey me, he is not competing with himself. I just see that in our lives so often. And, and even if my story doesn't make complete sense of it, hopefully God in his supernatural power by his spirit will impress on your heart that he is not calling you two different directions at the same time. The Father is not in competition with the Spirit for your worship. They're together building you up as the people of God. See, the Father sent Jesus. Sent by the force of His love for us to this earth. The King becomes servant. And Jesus obeyed perfectly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Father poured out every ounce of His wrath on Jesus for us. And Jesus willingly defeated death, defeated sin on our behalf. That's the, the past tense part of our salvation is that, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been freed from the penalty of sin once and for all because of the cooperation of God. And then Jesus and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to do what? To dwell in us presently to continue the work of saving us from the power of sin day in and day out as we walk by faith. And that's what I mean by the present tense of the gospel. God is presently saving you even now as you worship Him in this, this service together this morning. He is saving you from the power of certain sins in your life by the power of His Spirit. God is still cooperating you know, the Spirit is referred to often as, as the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus sent His Spirit. They are working together for your good and your salvation. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest who has perfect sympathy for us in our weakness. And they're cooperating together for our salvation right now. And because of that, we have access to the Father. None of our lives, as we're, as we're born and live in rebellion to God, none of our lives deserve access to the Father, and yet Jesus provides access to the Father. And we have that now. By the power of the Spirit and the sacrifice of the Son, we have access to the Father, even right now. Access to that perfect, perfection and perfecting cooperation that exists in the Trinity. It's ours in Jesus, and that is good news. That is not something we have to, to pull up by our own bootstraps. That is not something we have to work hard to get access to. That is something that Jesus did the work for us so that we have access to. 
And I'm really convicted that if we do not believe deeply with all that we are, that God is perfectly unified, we will continue to run around, divided even internally, and and therefore divided as a community. If we don't first see the beautiful unity that exists in God and His work on our behalf, we will not live with a, as a picture of that unity. And secondly, I've already been talking about this a good bit, but Jesus does our heavy lifting for us. The people of God in Nehemiah 3 were able to, to rebuild gates, to put what was broken together again, right? Physically. But there is a gate that we cannot rebuild And that is the gate that gives us, as I've been talking about, access to the Father again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus, the Father, for our sake, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the heavy lifting that Jesus did on our behalf. He became sin. He knew no sin, and He became the worst of who we are so that we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Jesus bore the weight that the law demands on our behalf so that we might be set free to glorify Him with our lives. And I don't want you to only think of this in that past tense, yeah, I've been forgiven, but life is hard, right? I still feel, I I know that Jesus may have forgiven me for my wrongdoing, but the anxieties today are overwhelming. Can He lift those for me? And he does as we lay them at his feet. Not as we ignore them or do enough self-help to to act like we can cope with the heavy anxieties of our lives, but as we actually lay them at his feet because he loves and cares for us presently, Jesus does our heavy lifting for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Whatever you're going through in life and whatever we we face as we struggle to be the people of God in this city that makes us feel like we cannot make it, the stone is too heavy, this barrier is too big, this mountain is too high, this pile of sin that I've laid up in front of me is far too big for me to accomplish anything for the sake of God. Whatever it is that keeps you from enjoying 
the Christ life, the kingdom advancing life. We're called here, we're, we're given permission here by faith to lay those things at his feet and he will lift them from us because his agenda for us is righteousness by faith. It is to bless us. He's not holding back. He's not wishing that you would do a little more and then he'll give you his peace. He's saying, come to me and receive my peace. And ultimately, he will make everything new in the end. But that's what he's doing in your life right now as you come to him. And so all of this frees us to a a spirit-empowered obedience. Because we are grafted into that perfect unity that we never deserved, we are then freed to work together with people we think don't deserve our love and our attention. We are freed by the gospel to cooperate with people who are uncooperatable, right? All of us run into people in our lives and we think, I can't work with that person. They're, they're too this, they're too that, they're, they're too different than me. I'm too different than them. I'm not good enough to work with them and yet we are grafted into a place that we don't deserve at all and, and because of that, we are freed to work with each other across any boundaries, any lines that we think are there. Because once we were children of wrath and Jesus chose to save us. We were dead in our trespasses when Jesus came to our rescue. Not a single part of me deserved a single ounce of the love that Jesus has poured out on me. And yet here I am. And one of our great poets of our day said, he is jealous for me. <laughs> you guys that know songs know where I'm going, right? Loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. There is nothing in us inherently that deserves the weight of his wind and mercy, and yet he pours it out so abundantly that we cannot stand under it when we see it for what it is. I pray for all of us that as we sing songs uh, and as we participate in communion, as we hear the Word of God preached, that we are overwhelmed emotionally even by the weight of the mercy that is undeserved. Because one day that, the weight of that mercy will, will be so heavy and so clear and so beautiful to you that, that all the afflictions that you feel now will, will disappear. They will be crushed by his mercy. They will be driven out by his mercy. And so because of that, we can be merciful toward one another as we cooperate. Not because we're good, but because we were undeserving and received mercy. Romans 5 speaks to this. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then lastly, Because Jesus has has lifted and continues to lift the heaviest stones on my behalf, I am freed to lift whatever he puts in front of me 
with you, empowered by the Spirit. Because Jesus does the heaviest lifting, I am freed to, do, to work hard alongside you for the sake of his kingdom. In remembrance of these things, we're going to participate together now. This is the, the most participatory part of our gathering, even more than the singing, because during the singing you may uh, just have stood there and not opened your mouth, but during this part, if you're going to participate, it requires you to move physically, to get up and come down front. And, and we have here on this table uh, some unleavened bread, some matzah. This represents for us, the people of God, this represents the body of Christ. Christ. 